Good morning, church family. All right. How about those Spartans last week? Was that amazing or what? Man, that was great. You know, I know Mark D'Antonio a little bit, and uh, I can say this, I think, and you will agree with me. Mark D'Antonio understands football doctrine. He understands that he knows what you have to do to build a winning football program. But, you know, just knowing the truth, knowing football doctrine, that doesn't mean you're going to be a great team, right? I mean, there's lots of coaches that know, doc, they understand football. But you've you got to have, you got to have the players. And then you have to teach those players. You have to be able to teach doctrine so that people, the players, know what they're supposed to do. And so he is a good teacher as well. Not only does he know it, but he knows how to teach it to his players. But, you know, I... I, I, I just can't imagine. I know Mark a little bit. I can't imagine him saying, "Okay, guys, we have uh, we've got the front, we've got the linemen over here, and you guys know what you're supposed to do, and we have the defensive. We, we all you know what you're supposed to do. It's Monday. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, when you show up Saturday, we play Ohio State. Let's beat them." I don't think so. I'll see you guys at 6:30 in the morning, over here on the field, because we're going to what? We're going to practice. We're going to practice. You see, you can, you can know it. You can know how to teach it. And the, the student can learn it. But if you don't practice it, it ain't going to happen. In fact, the vast majority of time is spent practicing what they have been taught. And then, oh, in practice, and you practice. You make mistakes when you practice. I mean, that's the whole thing. You learn from your mistakes so it's, it's those mistakes that teach you. That's why mistakes are a blessing from God to really help us clarify and understand what truth. But we have to bring that change to our lives. And then we become skilled. We become good at handling it when we practice it and we practice it and we practice it. And last weekend what we saw was a skilled group of talented athletes who went out and took the doctrine of football Sorry for those of you wearing red. I, well, maybe those of you wearing red are uh, celebrating Christmas. Hopefully that's the case. Yeah, okay, good. I got a couple thumbs ups there. And uh, Ohio State found out what that was all about. So here's the, here's the point. God wants you to know the truth. But God wants you to practice the truth. He wants you to become skilled at handling the truth. You know, John 8, 31 is, is a great verse. And this is, what, this is very interesting. Listen to what this says. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. Now notice, he's saying these, he's, what he's about to say, he's saying it to people who are saved, people who have put their faith in him. Notice what he says. If. See that little word? We never see that word. This is an if-then, a condition he's placing on believers. If. If you abide in my word then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so we're going to look at it. What does it mean to abide? Because, you know, if, if, that's a pretty big condition. If we don't do it, just because you know it, doesn't mean you're going to go out there and do it. You know, there's a, a Psalm 119.105, which is a very interesting psalm. I love the metaphor here. You know, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Your word is a lamp. Now, <clears throat> having gone to Israel... And I appreciate this much more. In the northern part, half of Israel, when you go there, you'll, you'll, here's what you'll see. You're, you'll see. You get outside the city, and you see fields of rocks. 
I mean, if you, would, if you didn't know, you would think that the number one, uh, what they produce in Israel is rocks. I mean, there are rocks everywhere. I mean, there's little rocks. They look like fields that are growing rocks. They're just full of rocks. And, and if you were a first century Jew, and uh, your day began at sun up, and it ended at sundown. Because, you know, when you, when you, you know, it ended at sundown, you went home and you didn't go out. If you went out, if you ran out of your house at night, it was pitch dark, no street lights, you would skin your toes, break your toes, you'd be flat on your face within three minutes. Not only that, in Israel there are absolutely, there are paths everywhere. There are paths here and there. I mean, and at night you would never be able to see which path to go. And so to the first century Jew, this verse had a great deal of meaning. Your is a lamp unto my feet, you know, a lamp unto my feet. Uh, 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 and so this way, when I, the light is there, I can see, I'm going to step over that rock, and it's, it's, I need to be here. Okay, and, and so I'll go here, and this is what you're going to do. And then you get to the paths, the, the, all these different paths, the ones going this way. You know, do I live here? Do I live there? Do I go uh, to, to this uh, school or to that school? Do I take this course or that course? Do I pursue a relationship with this person or that person? Uh, do I buy this new car or this cheaper used car? Do I, these are all paths that you take every day in life. You make decisions because all of these paths are be, that you take. And what this, what this psalm promises is that his word will guide us so that each step we take, and then when we come to these paths, he will give insight to us so that we know which path to choose. Okay. Well, what happens? What happens when we don't know the truth? Or what happens when we know the truth, but we ignore it? Without the truth, without the truth, you are likely to find yourself on the wrong path and not even know it. What does that look like? Well, a, uh, several weeks ago, um, there were about uh, 30 of us. Uh, we took a couple, 30 people from Trinity Church over to, uh, over to spend a week in Greece and then a week up in Turkey. Um, I think we have a photo of the group somewhere. And, uh, um, you know, we, are, we, 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 it was, we called this the, the footsteps of Paul. And we went to many of the cities that Paul went to on his three missionary journeys. And uh, there were some amazing lessons that we learned uh, at this, um, uh, on, this, on this trip. Uh, but there's one thing that really stood out to me. One thing that uh, I just had no idea about. And that's this. I had no idea how religious the Gentiles were. I mean, they were extremely religious. I mean, it's hard to imagine how religious they were. The word Gentile, by the way, the Gentiles were those who were not Jews. The Jews worshipped the one true God. Everyone else, Greeks, Romans, Macedonians, all the other countries, they were referred to as Gentiles. And the Bible uses an interesting word interchangeably with the word Gentile in the Scripture. And the word is pagan. They were pagans. Now, that wasn't a negative word like we think of it today. Pagans are polytheists. They worship many gods. That's what they did. They worshipped many gods or many gods. uh, many of these of these idols. So if you were a first century Gentile and you walked into the city of Athens or Corinth or Philippi or Thessaloniki or you walked into Ephesus or Laodicea or Pergamum or, or any of these cities where Paul went to on his missionary journeys, you were a, a Gentile at that time, you would be overwhelmed by what you saw. 
temple after temple after temple after temple of idols all being worshipped by Gentiles. If you were a, uh, let's say you were a merchant and you, uh, you went into Athens, Greece, and uh, when you went to Athens and you wanted to sell your goods in the marketplace, you would have to go to the temple of Athena. Now, every one of these cities would have multiple gods, but then there would be this temple. Of the, they would elevate one god who was kind of like the, the main god of the city. So in Athens, that happens to be Athena. As a matter of fact, uh, Athena lived in the temple of Athena, but it's called the Parthenon. And the Parthenon actually is one of the seven wonders of the world. And uh, there's a photo of it. And it is an amazing sight to see. That was built in 500 B.C. It's an unbelievable facility. But you would go to these, and you'd see temple after temple of all these gods. And so you would have to, as a merchant, go to the temple of Athena, and you would offer a sacrifice. Then you'd be given your permission slip to go down, and you're good to sell. You can sell your goods. Now, if you lived outside of Athens, probably you were in agriculture because it was an agrarian culture, and everybody made food. And so what you would do is you would come in regularly in the city, and you would probably find yourself at the temple of Demeter. And he would be one of your, or she would be one of your favorite gods because she was the, the, she was the goddess of agriculture. And so you would go to the temple of Demeter and you would offer a food offering to her. You would pray to her. You would offer incense, incense, incense to her, burn incense to her. That's what you wouldn't offer. You'd burn incense to her, praying and saying, Demeter, oh, you know, great goddess you know, I, of, of agriculture, would you bless my crops and show favor upon me and I need a fruitful, I need a fruitful harvest this year. Maybe you had a bad leg or uh, you weren't feeling well and you, you, you probably would hobble over to the, the temple of, of uh, Asclepius. And you'd go to the temple of Asclepius because he was the god of healing and, and you really wanted this guy to be happy with you and so you would bring him a sacrifice and, and you would make a sacrifice to him and you would pray to him and ask him to heal you before going over to the clinic and getting some advice on how to be healed. Then what happened at each of these temples every day, they would give away free food. Free food. Now this was a big deal for them because most people didn't have very much, so to have free food was an amazing thing. So many people would come in at the appointed time at each temple and they would, they would then give away the free food and the meat that was offered as sacrifice. They would keep it and they would, they would, everybody would come and you would eat at the table of that God. And you would eat the food, you would eat the meat, and they would always save the blood of the animals, and you would drink the blood. This was a form of worship. And when you took this food in, you were taking in this God. Now, if that doesn't weird you out, the immorality that was associated with idol worship, much of uh, many of the idols, was unimaginable even by today's standards. It, just, it was absolutely mind-boggling. How, how could this be? This, this, this type of worship was built into the very fabric of everyday life. This is why uh, the Council of Jerusalem meets to discuss the Gentiles who were coming to Christ. It was a surprise to the Jews in the first place because they knew how they lived. But what now, what do we do? with these folks? Do we make them do, do the same practices or some of the things that we do? In Acts 15, listen to this, verses 19 and 20. It says, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols. 
from sexual immorality and from the meat strangled from animals and from blood. I always wondered what that meant. It was kind of strange how they said to the Gentiles, just don't do these four things, okay? Now, you know, now, now I understand. I mean, it, it, just, it was a bizarre thing the way they would, they, would, they would worship. This is why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 2, you know, he's writing to the church in Corinth, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols. This is what happens. Paul again writes in 1 Corinthians 10.20, and he's talking about the dangers of idol worship in your life. Listen to this. He says, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, okay, you guys, when you go to the temple, when you sacrifice, you do all this, you offer it to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot take the drink, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord, so they would come and celebrate the Lord's table, the Lord's death. The bread was the body, the blood was the symbol of his symbolic of his blood that was shed for us. You can't come and take the, the blood of the Lord, drink the drink the wine as a and then come over here and drink the blood of demons. You can't come over here and, and, and eat the, the table at the table of the Lord, the bread symbolic of his life, and then come over here to the table of the demons. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I was thinking on this trip, I thought, what? Why, are the, why are they so religious? Why are they so religious, and how is it that they were so deceived? Okay. So, uh, several weeks back, I was reading uh, a, a, a book, I can't remember the name of the author right now, but he had some very good insight to this question. You see, most people, most of us, would see ourselves as human beings. Human being. And that somewhere in the course of our human life, we have a spiritual experience. Well, that's not true. You are a spiritual being. And you have this human body that you've been, that you, you're housed in. You see, you are body, soul, and spirit. Your soul and spirit will live forever in eternity. The only question is where. But this body that you have is, has two problems. The first problem is it comes with an expiration date. Okay? The second problem is that it comes with a sinful nature. So when you were born, you were born into a body that has this natural desire to move on a, choose a path that, is, that moves away from God. You have a natural desire to, to want to pursue those things in your life that will appeal to the things of the world, the, the flesh, and, and so forth. This is why uh, Paul in Romans uh, chapter 7, uh, verses 14 through 25, remember this? Paul says these words, he says, you know, the very things that I want to do, I don't do them. And, and the very things over here that I don't want to do, those are the things I do. Can anybody else relate to that? Isn't that the truth? And then he says these words, O wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? I mean, we have a body that, that doesn't, that doesn't, that's at war with the spiritual side. There is this, this constant battle. But then Paul ends up the passage by saying, I thank God and praise Him for the Lord Jesus Christ who redeems me. Who redeems me. All right, so... Um, so what is an idol? I mean, we don't, we don't go to temples and worship idols. Or do we? 
So what is an idol? An idol is anything. An idol is anything that has an influence, this influence, a controlling influence in your heart and begins to crowd out God. An idol can be anything that has a controlling influence in your heart and crowds out God. You see, He wants, if you put your trust and faith in Christ, you've stepped across that line of faith and, and you've re- received Him, you've asked Him to forgive you for your sins, then the Spirit of God takes up residence in your, in your life. But Jesus then wants to be on the throne of your life and He wants to lead you and guide you through the power of of His Word here. But sometimes we allow other things of the world because of this body that we're in to come into our life. These are idols. to come, And they want to take up residence and they want to take up the throne and sit on the throne. And if you're not very really careful with this, what will happen is you will find yourself at the temple of self-centeredness. Or you will find yourself at the, uh, the temple of pleasure or comfort. Or the temple of technology or entertainment or sports or food or whatever. Because there, just like there were hundreds of idols and gods that were worshipped, there are hundreds of idols that can come into our lives and take over and have a controlling influence and crowd out the Lord. And when this happens, we are worshipping idols. And when, you are, when this happens then uh, it's easy to be led astray. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 6 not to worry about money. Don't pursue money. Don't make the money the focus of your life. Don't, don't make the things of this world the focus of your life. Don't worry about the food, the clothing, and all these other things. Don't focus on that. But, but, but if you will do this, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek Him. Allow Him to be on the throne of your life. Let Him lead and guide you. Don't worry about all of these other things. And all these other things will be added. But the minute we decide what we want to do, we begin to crowd Him out, and all of a sudden the idols begin to take over in our lives. And so the Word of God, the truth of God, is a gift from God to spiritual beings trapped in a body of death who have a sinful nature. It is a gift from Him to help us see how to walk the path the path of righteousness. Well, how do I turn on the power? How do I turn on the power of God's Word, His truth, in my life? That's a good question. And uh, we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2 is a very interesting chapter in the Bible. It's the if-then chapter of the Bible. Because there are conditional promises God makes. Just because you... Uh, are a believer, a follower of Christ, does not mean you are going to experience a transformed life. You're going to experience all the things that He wants. No, there are conditions placed on your relationship with Him, just like the condition He said in, in John chapter 8, where if you abide in Me, then all these other things will happen. So let's read Proverbs chapter 2. We're going to just read verses 1 through 9, but I want you to focus on the number of times you see the word if. Now the word, word if here is implied seven times. So we're going to see the if, and then we're going to see the thens. Now we're not going to spend a lot of time on chapter 2, but it is an amazing chapter because of all the benefits and the things that God will do in your life if, if you, you do these things. 
Proverbs 2, 1, begin verse 1. My son, if, here's the first thing, if you receive my words and if you treasure up my commands and if you will make your ear attentive to wisdom and you incline your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and you raise your voice for understanding and if you seek it like silver and you search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and the beginning and the knowledge of God. Then you will understand at that point in time where you're crying out, you're begging for it, you're searching for it, it's been revealed to you, and you will understand where it comes from. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Notice that knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Notice that knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. We'll get back to that in a moment. <laughs> for He stores up sound wisdom for the upright, and He is a shield for the upright, that is the person who is doing, practicing, he's a shield. He's a shield to those whose walk is integrity. Walk, that means I'm out there living it, doing it, practicing. <clears throat> he guards the path of the just and watches over the way of his saints. And this is the one I like right here. Then, then you will understand righteousness, justice, equity, and you will understand every good path. Let me, tra- let me retranslate that. You see, if we do these things, then what God will do is put us on the path of righteousness. But just because you're on the path of righteousness, just because you're a believer, doesn't mean your life is just going to be a bowl of cherries. Things are going to come out at you every day, and you have to discern what is right, what is wrong, what is just, what is not just. But he is going to show you justice. He will show you the right thing to do. I, don't, I, I face this issue in my life. This is definitely wrong. This is the thing to do. I need to take the step this way. I'm going to come to those paths in my life every day. Do I go to this school? Do I go to that school? Do I take this class, that class, pursue that relationship? All these things that come at all of us, he says, I will guide you into which path you should take. So let me ask you, do you, do you want to know You want to live your life every day so that you know what is right, what is just, what is fair, and every good path to take. Does that sound like a pretty good thing? Because if you don't have a passion to want to do that, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to see God working in your life. Now, here's this this point. If, if, If you, every believer, can know what is right, just, and fair, and every good path, if if you fulfill three conditions. And here are the three conditions. Here's the three conditions. Here's the first condition. You must be awakened by the truth. Awakened by the truth. Notice what it says, verse 1, the very first words, My son, if you receive my words and if you treasure my commands. Now listen, receive. The word receive doesn't mean you hear them and you know it. The word receive is an action verb. And in the, in the language, the, one of the challenges in translating to the English language is we have fewer words to describe things. In the Hebrew, in the Greek, uh, the, they had many, many words to describe this. So let me explain to you what the word receive means. That word receive means that you, you chase it and you capture it. You captured it. It means that you're going this way in life and all of a sudden, wham, you've discovered truth that you didn't know before and all of a sudden you see things that's going to put you on this path and this is what I need to go. It is an action verb that moves you in the direction of truth. It means, and I I like this definition, it means that you have found something and you want to marry it. That's a pretty serious commitment, isn't it? But that's what it means to receive. 
But, but then it says you receive and treasure. So to treasure his commands, the word treasure there means to, 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 to find something of great value, to take that and to hide it. And to know where you put it. And of course it tells us where to put it in the, in the, in the passage, right? Where do we put it? Where do we put this treasure that we have found? Within you. That's what it says. Within our hearts. And it's there so that we pull it out as we, we need it as we, we go along. So this word receive is critical. We need to be awakened by the truth. Now, there is a trap door here. There's a trap door that comes with this one. <clears throat> and, and I know all about this trap door because I fell through the trap door. And here's the trap door. There is a big difference between being awakened by the truth and aware of the truth. You see, for the early years of my life, I was aware of this truth. I knew there was a God in heaven. His Son came. He died on the cross. I knew that Jesus died for, my, for the sins of the world. But I wasn't awakened to that truth. I didn't act on that truth. I knew about that truth. You can read the Scripture for entertainment. You can read the Bible for knowledge. You can read it for information. And all it does is sit there. It's just knowledge in your head. But unless you are awakened by it, to the point where I want to, I want to marry it, I want to own it, I want this to be a part of how I live my life, then it's not going to be active uh, as, as, as I might want it to be. It took me a number of years to really understand that I, was just, I just knew about the Word, but it, it, I hadn't been awakened to it. All right, so what's the second condition? Here's the second condition. It continues on. And it says, it's the second condition is simply this, practicing the truth. I become a, uh, awakened to the truth, but I need, to become, I need to start practicing it. Notice what he says, making your ear attentive to wisdom. But by the way, the first part of the word was, the first part of the verse we saw a minute ago was knowledge. Now we're talking about wisdom. In the next little section, we're going to see understanding again. Making, see, making is an action verb. The word making your ear attentive to wisdom. So this means I, I, don't, I do not have this natural desire to want to pursue because I'm, I'm trapped in this body of death. It wakes up in the morning and it starts thinking about what it wants to do and all the things I have to do throughout the day. It, I have to make my ear pay attention to wisdom. And so this is the idea of take wisdom. Wisdom means I know Knowledge means you know it in your head. I need to be awakened to that. Wisdom means that I know now how to use it. I know how to use it. I know how to go out there and apply this to my life. It doesn't mean that you are. It just means you, you, you now possess the wisdom to do it, but you have to do it. That's why I have to make my ear and incline myself to go after it. If I don't do that, and somehow I trick myself into thinking that just because I know it and I got an A on the test, I'm good. You're not good. You, 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 you got information in your head. You know, it was interesting, the Jewish culture, everything was doing, in the Jewish worldview, what you said was meaningless. How you looked was meaningless. Everything is what you did. In the Hellenistic Greek world, that was colliding with the Jewish worldview at the time, it was all about what you owned, or what you had, or how you looked, or what you knew. So we're being encouraged. We, we need to 
we need to practice. Psalm 26.2, the psalmist says, prove me, prove me. The word prove means to test. Prove me, O Lord, try me, test, test my heart and my mind. So that every day, every day is full of stuff that's going to come against you in, in your life, right? I mean, every day things happen, mess-ups happen. I mean, life is designed by God in such a way because it's just going to happen. Every day is a test. How are you going to respond? What, what, what is, how are you going it, to, it's on and on and on it goes. And so what God, the, the test isn't there so God can say, okay, let's have this little test. I'm going to walk and see what Blake does here. No, the test, he knows what I'm going to do. The test is for me to see how well I'm practicing what I know, what I believe. There's a belief-behavior gap here. I can say I believe something, but if my behavior is inconsistent with what I believe, then I need to practice, I need to work this out in my day-to-day walk. Is this making sense to anybody? Can anybody identify with this? I wish I had heard this years ago. Philippians 4.9 Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. What you have learned, listen to this, what you have learned, what you have received, there's that word, what you have heard, what you have seen, practice these things. Then the God of peace will be with you. You know, in our culture, we place such a high value on knowing, don't we? We know, and we have an appetite to pursue learning. It is of no value. It is of no value until you are awakened to it and you begin practicing and using it. And that's where God begins to really interact with us. Listen to what uh, Paul says in uh, uh, Philippians. Well, in. Uh, let me just talk about this. Let me just give you an example. Um, let's, let's assume that one of my many sins, failures, Whoops, is uh, I have I have this anger problem. I really don't have anger. I, I said this one time and somebody came up and wanted to pray for me and it was really bad. It's okay. I'm all right. <coughs> I have other issues. <laughs> I have an anger problem, and I get angry ten times a, a week. And I come to God and I say, Lord God, I just. I, I confess this. I confess my anger problem. I just hate it when this happens. I know I'm not supposed to do it. And, and Lord, would you just, by the power of your Spirit, begin to work in my heart and my mind? Would you just transform me and change me and help me to, when that urge comes, to just by the strength and power of the Spirit of God in me, just to, to push that down. And the next week, I go out and I get angry eight times. It's really reason to celebrate because I'm growing and I come to God and I said Lord God I, I confess Lord I, I eight times last week I got angry at my kids and my wife and his work and I did the, I, I don't this isn't who I want to be and Lord I just I give myself over to you and Lord would you just by the power of the spirit of God in would you just change my desire and the next week I get angry seven times and the next week and I keep coming back to the Lord and I just plead with Him. I beg with Him. I cry out with Him. And I'm searching and I'm, t- I'm asking others to hold me accountable and, 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 and on and on. And, and then the next week, five. And it stays five for, for several weeks. And then it goes to four. And it's at four for two months. And then it, it drops to three. And then all of a sudden, a year later, it's, it's only once a week. And, and then 
three years later, it's once every three months. And five years later, I rarely get any. Because that's how the Spirit of God works. But I've got to practice. Hey, I'm sorry, this is who I am. If you can't accept me for what, I mean, that's your problem. Ever heard that one? No, no, God is in the life transformation business. Is that right? He wants to change you. He doesn't want to just save you. That's the beginning of the journey. Now He wants to begin working at changing and transforming my heart and, and making me more like Jesus. But i got to engage in the process. And first got to be awakened by the truth. And next thing i got to do is practice the truth. Second Timothy 3, 16, 17. All Scripture is breathed out of God and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof. That is when I sin, it convicts me. That's what brings me back wanting to repent. It's good for correction and here to training for righteousness. This is what the Word of God is training. It's training us as we go out day to day and we mess up. So that, uh, this is written to Timothy, so it's his man of God, but to, it's written to all of us, so that every person can be complete and equipped for every good work. This is what God wants to do. He wants to equip you. But he's preparing you. It's just like Mark D'Antonio when he's equipping him. You know, when they started out with halfbacks at the beginning of the season, I mean, they were throwing anybody in there to see who was going to. But then all of a sudden, one of these guys begins. Is it Langford? Yeah, I mean, he just all of a sudden develops. And he's, he's just, this is what he wants to do with us. But there's a trap door here. I'm practicing. There's a trap door here. And you need to watch out for this trap door. I wish I was 14, 16, 18. I wish I was in my 20s hearing what I'm about to say right now. Because I fell through this trap door. And you know what? I think some of you have too. Maybe some of you right now are there. I fell through the trap door and I wandered around in the basement of my spiritual life in darkness, wondering where God was. Why wasn't I changing? Is this all there is? Because I didn't understand this principle. God wants you to practice the truth. But here's the trap door. You cannot do it in your own strength. You cannot do it in your own strength. For years, I thought I could reform myself. For years, when I read the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, I thought I was supposed to go out and do that. I thought somehow I could prove to God that I was capable of pleasing Him by my behavior and I am going to do this. I've made this commitment. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it this time. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to do this. And what do you do? You go right out and do it. And God is not going to show up in your life when you do that because that's you thinking you can do it in your own strength. And if you could do that, Jesus did not have to come and die on that cross for you. He didn't have to. Not only that, if you could do that, then Jesus didn't have to send the Holy Spirit to help you, comfort you, teach you, guide you, lead you, convict you, and all those other things, right? Because you could do it in your own strength. The whole point here is you're in a body of death here, and because of this body of death, I need, I need to be awakened to this truth, and I need the power of the Spirit of God in me because that's His role, is to tra change me, transform me, my Inclining my ear is to understand that I am to submit to the power of God's Word. I am submit to the authority of the, of the Holy Spirit in my life. And as I'm doing that, I'm making sure He's on the throne of my life. And I'm, that way I'm seeking the kingdom first. 
and all the other things come. It took me years to crawl out of the basement before I realized I can't do this in my own in my own strength. Does anybody can anyone else relate to this one? awakened to the truth, not aware of the truth, practicing the truth, but not in my own strength. Here's the third here's the third condition. Here's the third it. And that's to become skilled, to become skilled handling the truth. We oftentimes we don't we don't think we don't think of this very, very often, but Notice what it says in Proverbs. It says, inclining your heart. This is all in the first Proverbs 2, 1 and 2. Inclining, that's an action verb. Inclining your heart to understanding. See, the heart is the command center in your life. Your heart is. And uh, everything that you think, everything you allow your eyes to see, everything that you say, and everything you do behaviorally is first pre-approved by your heart. And what God wants to do is change this. So instead of walking down this path, He wants to awaken you to the truth. He wants you then to begin practicing the truth so that you can become skilled handling the truth and live an abundant and victorious life. But it isn't going to happen unless I meet these three conditions. Inclining your heart. The word inclining your heart here means, it, it, it again, it's a form of, of, of discipline. It, it's a, it's, it means to bend my heart in the direction that it should go. Proverbs 23.7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So what, you know, what, what comes out of the heart is really, is, is what you do is what comes out of the heart. Uh, I like what Second uh, Timothy 2.15 says. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A wor- Isn't this great? Timothy was a pretty sharp dude. I mean, this guy was really smart. And Paul takes him up under the wing. He doesn't say to Timothy, who knew a great deal and was an amazing young minister, he didn't say to Timothy, present yourself perfect before God. No. He says, do your best. You mess up ten times, bring it to God. And then it's eight, then it's seven, and then it's six. As you practice, do your best as one approved. One approved. The word approved there means tested. And then notice, a worker. You're a worker. That's what we all are. We are workers in the marketplace of life practicing. We need not be ashamed, but there's the last part of the verse. Rightly handling the Word of God. You cannot handle be skilled at handling the Word of God unless you practice and practice and practice. I love Ephesians 6.17. In all circumstances, no matter what comes at you during the course of the day, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And then take up the helmet of salvation. And then the sword of the Spirit 
which is the, the Word of God. You see, to the person in there, I think we have a picture of this, to the picture of that day, you know, the, 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 the shield, the shield and the, and the flaming darts coming every day, the temptations that coming every day, so that you're able to use the Word of God to fend off all of those temptations, all of those things that come at you. And you have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now the sword of the, I love it, it's the Word of God, but it's the sword of the Spirit. It's not the sword of the flesh. Now we're supposed to bathe all of this in prayer. That's what the next verse says. But the sword of the Spirit means I know how to battle the unseen evil elements of the world using the power of the Word of God in my life. <clears throat> I think some Christians misunderstand this and they think it's the, the sword of the flesh and they like to whack people with the Word of God. They like to prove to them why they're wrong. They like to say, they, they focus on others. They become legalists. We've done a wonderful job creating a bunch of Pharisees in churches because they don't rightly handle the Word of God. But we do so with love. So what God wants you to do is to become skilled at handling. Now, they, the first century Christian understood because this was how you dealt with, in, a, in the world's sense, you needed to be good with, with this in order to go out in the world and succeed in terms of the battles and the things that they were used to in their thinking. Well, now what Paul does is use some of the same, as a metaphor, the same similar language, but he defines it differently in his words. But there's a trap door. Again, you have to be very careful here. And, and the, tra the better you get, the greater the risk that you will become prideful about using, I'm pretty good. I, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm really good. What does it mean? To rightly handle the Word of God. Well, you know, there's a couple of verses that come to mind. <clears throat> you know, it, it's, it's the word self-control, fruit of the Spirit. The last one is self-control. I, I kind of wish that one had been left off, but it's there. It really is the capstone of all, you know, the, what the Christian life is supposed to look like. <clears throat> but, but you know, what's, you know what, what self-control is? I spent some time looking this up. It means power over yourself. I mean, if you don't turn on the power of God, and if you don't align yourself with these three conditions, then you're not going to have power over yourself. It means lordship. The word here means lordship over your life as you go into the marketplace of life, and you're able to respond out of the Spirit each time. So, you know, I think of a few words, like uh, verses 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to Christ. You know, how many of you have thoughts? I mean, thoughts, you, why, is, why is that thought there? I hate it when I think that. And every day you think those thoughts. The Scripture says you can bring those thoughts captive to Christ, but I need to become skilled at handling the Word of God so that I begin to use the power and understand it's not me bringing control to that thought, but it's the power of the Spirit of God. And I come out to God and I cry out for wisdom. So if, I, if you seek it, and Lord, I need your help, there's this issue in my life and I've realized I've been trying to solve this problem my entire life. I can't do it. Okay, and I need to turn it over to you and I need the power of the Spirit of God to change me. Lord, protect me. Help me to not think that way. Help me to avoid that person, to avoid watching that, to avoid whatever it is, and help me to become skilled at using your word. This is what God wants us to do. And if we don't practice, if we don't become skilled, we're simply not going to transform. We're going to stay in that same position. 
resisting temptation. James 4 says, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I need to train myself, practice resisting those things that come at me, and then he will flee. There's numerous verses that, uh, that we could speak to that help us there. But here are the, these are the three conditions. And as the team is coming up now to, uh, to close the song, and the three filters. I like to call these filters. There are three filters. We need to be awakened by the truth. Not aware of the truth. Awakened by it. And some of you need, there's some here right now, and you need to be awakened. Maybe you've known the truth for some time. But you've not, you haven't been truly awakened to it. Some of you have been awakened to the truth, but you're not practicing it. You're out there uh, finding yourself worship. You've allowed these idols to creep into your life in such a way that you're, you're not practicing it. Matter of fact, you've been kind of going down a different path, and maybe I've allowed myself to worship at the temple of a few of these other idols that we've been talking about. But I need to practice. And not only do I need to practice, but I need to understand that. God wants me to become a skilled warrior, rightly handling the word of truth.